You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, uh, as Zach said in our introduction to the service, we're starting uh, Hebrews. I mentioned that last week as well. We wrapped up our uh, series in First Peter, which I'm sad to say I enjoyed being it, in it. And now we're uh, in Hebrews for a couple months through the summer, basically. And it's common for people to be intimidated by the letter uh, to the Hebrews. If you've never read it before, maybe you started to read it and got intimidated and stopped or read it and thought, what, I just like can't wrap my mind around all that's happening here because it's such a, a dense letter. And I've uh, historically been intimidated by myself. I've never preached on it at length, a passage here and there, but never a full series. And so chose Hebrews this summer in part, but not entirely, just to challenge myself to uh, to go through it, um, because I think it's a mistake to avoid this letter. After probably Romans uh, in the New Testament epistles, the most dense, theologically dense letter that we have uh, in the New Testament with so much rich information, often poetically, about who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. Just to, because this is the first sermon uh, in this series, I'll give a little bit of background information about the entire letter, and then I'll look at uh, chapter one. But uh, the uh, letter is by an unknown author. For a long time, people attributed it to Paul, but uh, for quite a while, people have been saying, the, you'll often hear people say the author of Hebrews, because we don't know. It's an anonymous uh, person, and the letter is likely addressed to a Greek-speaking Jewish audience in the diaspora, as I spoke about when we were uh, preaching on First Peter. Remember that uh, uh, Jewish population was spread all throughout the Mediterranean and Middle East, and many of whom converted were early converts uh, to be followers of Jesus. And this particular group was probably in Italy, maybe, uh, because of a reference that's in chapter 13 to Italy. And the form it takes is a little bit unusual. It's not identical to a typical epistle format. People sometimes call it a sermon, uh, a very long and hefty sermon, but it, it does have some uh, semblance to epistles. So you could almost think of it as a sort of sermonic letter, uh, sort of like an epistle, sort of like a sermon, uh, a little bit of both. And there are some uh, general themes throughout the, the whole letter. And this is important to kind of keep in your mind to, to, to wade through the, the weeds of Hebrews, that these are the sort of broad strokes that, as Zach said, one of the biggest themes is the superiority of Christ, that Christ is better than all the other things that we put our hopes in. Uh, the superiority of Christ over angels, as we'll see in this passage, as we've read, and even over Moses, uh, over uh, the Old Testament priesthood and the line of uh, the Levitical priests superior to that priesthood, superior to the sacrificial system of Israel, and therefore to the tabernacle, uh, the temple worship, uh, and the old covenant altogether, that Christ ushers in a new covenant that is superior to that old covenant altogether. 
And related to this, there's warnings uh, to this uh, group about the futility of returning to all of these things, to all of these things of the Jewish identity, and a charge, therefore, to remain faithful uh, to Jesus Christ, to persevere, uh, a lifelong perseverance to not capitulate and and go back, to to maintain the steady course of being followers of Jesus Christ, and therefore a, a related sort of necessity to gather together as we are here, uh, because we need each other uh, to encourage each other for this lifelong perseverance. We can't do this as sort of lone rangers. Another theme is uh, Christ's uh, death being sufficient for us. The word we use uh, for that is atonement, that his blood actually means something for our salvation, atonement of our sins. And also a sort of, sort of sub-theme that you'll see throughout the letter uh, to the Hebrews is a seamless use of the Old Testament throughout, that he, like a master craftsman, is weaving a tapestry with uh, Old Testament references, often from the Psalms, but elsewhere, uh, just as if it were from his own language. And we see this with all the references to the Son as opposed to the angels in chapter 1. Well, so those are the broad strokes, and hopefully that's helpful. I, you know, I really encourage you at some point, and sooner rather than later, to, to read it for the first time or reread it, and hopefully that background information is helpful to keep in mind as you read the whole letter. But why was the letter written? You know, it's not written in a vacuum. Something was going on, and some of these things I've already hit on, and we can sort of discern from the clues, <clears throat> excuse me, in the letter of why the author of Hebrews wrote this letter. As I said, there are similarities to First Peter that we can detect actually in this letter to the audience being persecuted. They probably had faced persecution, and they're probably facing present persecution, including banishment from Jewish institutions. Uh, And as such, they're in danger of of falling away from faith in Jesus Christ, in him alone at least, uh, perhaps due to their fear of even death from the persecution. But they uh, they had not yet faced martyrdom. We know this because in chapter 12, the author says, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So the pressure is on heavy. No one has died yet, but maybe that's going to happen. Um, And uh, they likely risk losing faith in the ultimate power of Jesus Christ's uh, death to deal with sin. And they appear to be returning to Jewish, different Jewish rites uh, to deal with their, their guilt. And here we saw the angels is one of the references. What's, what might that be about? Well, you might, if you've ever read Colossians by Paul, you might remember that one of the things that Paul addresses in Colossians is a sort of a worshiping of angels. And maybe there's a similar thing going on here in this congregation where Paul says in Colossians, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. And so maybe there's a similar temptation here that one of the sort of mystical practices that they're falling on uh, is this sort of worship of angels. And so there's a temptation to fall from ultimate trust in Jesus Christ, that he uh, has the final word in our lives. 
uh, and they have a real need for, for lifelong perseverance. You might just cons- you might compare, for example, remember when Israel left uh, Egypt at the Exodus, when they get to the other side of the Red Sea, not too long after they want to go back to Egypt. You know, they long for the meat pots and all the different things of Egypt. Um, it's, similar, it's a similar sort of situation, wanting to go back to the old life. I recently, earlier this year, decided that uh, what I want to do is to get a flip phone because I really felt like my iPhone was ruining my life, like really ruining my life. And so I went down to the store and got a flip phone uh, the first time in, what, 10, 11 years? And it was really a a bad decision because... (laughs) The flip phone technology of 12 years ago is actually better than the flip phone technology now because only like really old people and construction workers buy uh, flip phones. And so they don't really, you know, they, they don't do a good job with the flip phones anymore. And the, the new thing that's happened is people text all the time. People didn't text back then. And so I was, you know, typing the thing each number three times to get through, like two word answers basically to everything. And I realized that, you know, the promised land has, has arisen with these smartphones, I guess. So I went back, you know. But it's a, it's a, it's a 5S still. But anyway, it was, it's like that. The Hebrews are having a very similar situation. You know, they're, they're wanting to go back to the idealized life of the flip phone, whatever their version of it was then. I hope that's helpful for understanding what's going on here. There are two main themes in our passage today. Uh, two main themes, some of, some of which I've already hit on, but so let's draw that out. Here are the two main themes. Number one is that God speaks. God speaks. And finally, uh, by his son, who, number two, this is the second theme, is superior even to angels. So two themes in our uh, passage today. Number one, that God speaks, and finally by his son. And number two, the son is superior even to angels. We'll find out that he's superior to all manner of things later on, but those are the two main themes in our passage today. Let me just touch briefly on the angels thing. I talked about the Colossian heresy that Paul addresses, and there might be something similar here. We probably don't resonate with this concern about worshiping angels, Uh, but it's obvious from this passage and elsewhere in the New Testament Uh, that uh, Jewish culture had a higher view of angels than most of us do and were therefore in danger of worshiping them. Consider uh, John in the book of Revelation where he says, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel, but he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Uh, So here you even see where John, uh, captured by the presence of this angel, falls down to worship him, and the angel says, stop, don't do that. I am not worthy of worship. Worship God. And so that's that's what's probably in the background here. Um, We're at risk of worshiping other things, uh, and I'll hit on that later, but I'm more interested today in the themes of God speaking and ultimately, uh, the superior, superiority of the Son, namely Jesus, as the author of the Hebrews says later in chapter 2. These are uh, bigger issues for us today than the risk of worshiping angels. Believing that there is a God, first of all, 
And, and secondly, that he speaks, that he actually has something to say, and it's not a mere deity uh, who no longer has a word uh, for his creation, and that he speaks by a son who's God's superior and sufficient word for us. You know, do we believe this? Do we actually, functionally speaking, believe this, that God speaks and by his son? And does our society uh, seem to believe this? Or are we functionally deists or pantheists or atheists who maybe will give lip service to that idea? I mean, at least we're, we're here, you know, uh, at least culturally we think this is true, but functionally, you know, Monday through Saturday and the rest of Sunday, what is it that we actually believe? Well, let's consider what Hebrews 1 says about God speaking. And so today, uh, because I've glossed over all the angel bits, I mostly want to look at verses 1 through 3, and you can see that again in your bulletin. Let me reread this uh, powerful passage about God speaking and the identity of his Son. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so form, formerly, you could say the, this equates with the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, God spoke, and chiefly by his prophets, but in other ways as well. And now, in these last days, which is the New Testament, the New Covenant, and even today, 2,000 years later, God still speaks by his Son, namely Jesus Christ. And right away, right here, there's a risk. There was a guy back in the first and second century named Marcion of Sinope. Have you ever heard of him before? Marcion, the Marcionites, basically believed that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. That the Father of Jesus Christ was a different God. That the God of the Old Testament was a harsh, angry, immoral monster. But the God of the New Testament was this uh, God of love. And people today still talk like Marcion. I mean, I have this sort of conversation with people probably at least once a month, maybe even more than that. Someone says something like that to me in a hospital or just on the street when they find out that I'm a pastor at a cocktail party, whatever. So there, there are Marcions. We're basically, uh, most of us, is a sort of default setting to be sort of like Marcion, to want to think that the God of the Old Testament is a different God than the God of our Father of, of Jesus Christ. But our passage doesn't allow for this. Our passage today does not allow for this. The Old Covenant, the Old Testament, is shadows and reflections of the real deal, the Son. Uh, he says, in many ways, and this, of course, we heard the prophets, but also considered by signs like rainbows in a fire uh, to Moses, through a donkey to Balaam, stone tablets to Israel, dreams to Joseph and Pharaoh, uh, through poetry by David and Solomon and many others, and by the prophets, of course, 
whose sayings were both blessings and curses for Israel and Judah and even the nations, not just Israel, but all nations. Uh, Consider what God says in the book of Numbers. He says, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles. And so we just see from all of this that in many different ways God spoke in types and shadows and reflections in the Old Testament. But in these last days, meaning uh, the days of Jesus Christ, which includes up till now, there's a sort of internal coherence to all of the Bible to the New Testament and the Old Testament. Consider uh, Luke chapter 24, the story of the road to Emmaus. After Christ's uh, resurrection, he meets two disciples on the road. We're beginning with Moses and all the prophets, basically meaning the whole New Old Testament. Jesus interpreted them in, uh, to, to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, basically saying, all of the Old Testament concerns me. And you might even, we don't know who wrote the, the, uh, the uh, letter to the Hebrews. Maybe it was one of the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. Because the guy who wrote uh, the letter to the Hebrews seems to have a similar message where all of Moses and the prophets point to Jesus Christ. And so if we want to know what Christ said on the Emmaus Road, it probably sounds something quite similar to what's written in Hebrews. The main point here, though, is God's message, his word to us by his son, is superior to everything else we've ever heard and will hear until he returns. That word is the gospel, the word of life and freedom. And don't let anyone take you back to something inferior. And don't allow uh, someone to add, to heap something on top of that that binds you. God's word to you by his son is sufficient. The same son who has all authority in heaven and on earth, the same son who spoke creation into existence and sustains it to this day, the same son whose blood sacrifice on the cross put us at rights with uh, God, the same son who reflects the image and majesty of the father, and the same son who is now in heaven as fully human and in full power. So what can the message of Hebrews in general and uh, chapter 1 in particular mean for us today? As I said before, most of us are not in danger of slipping into sort of Jewish rituals and mystical practices, but our, our own old ways, our own old ways are a mixture of probably Christian uh, cultural nominalism secularism, relativism, um, consumerism, and things like this. Those are the things that we're constantly in danger of slipping back into. Personally, for me, uh, I find it impossible to put off the old self. I find it a, a, a perpetual difficulty to put off the old self and to put on the full armor of God. My mind is much more influenced by Uh, different ideas in popular culture and old values that are often anti-gospel, probably pretty exclusively anti-gospel and soul-crushing. 
Have you read the news the last two weeks? Two famous people committed suicide. Totally unexpected. Kate Spade, who I know very little about, but there are probably Kate Spade bags in this room. From what I understand from my wife, most famous bag designer of current memory, you know, wealthy, successful, famous, uh, for most of us, unexpected, and yet at a point of deep despair to take her own life. From the world's point of view, from a superficial point of view, from looking at things in the media, you would, you would not expect this. And then a couple days ago, Anthony Bourdain, who uh, was for the last 20 years a personality in uh, food, uh, television, network programs, all kinds of different shows, hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of different episodes where he travels all over the planet eating food, great food, and often, I mean, my wife and I survived seminary watching Anthony Bourdain every night, you know. Uh, we, we got us through seminary. We would binge, pun intended, binge on Anthony Bourdain, eating, watching him eat food, and he just, he exuded a joie de vivre, you know. Um, but something was going on that we didn't see, but we should know better because we've seen this happen over and over and over again in celebrity culture and in our own lives where someone like that actually had so much darkness behind uh, the scenes, the point of despair to taking his own life. And modern values that Christians hold dear and often put above Christ might include things like leisure and comfort, wealth, status, fame, acceptance, identity, whatever that means anymore. And we place these values into things like our careers, our zip codes, our children, our homes, our cars, the activities that we take part in, the vacations that we go on and Instagram about so that people can look at it and then they get depressed because they can't go on that vacation. And meanwhile, we're all hating each other on the vacation anyway because we're spending way too much money and are stressed out about it. How we vote, who we vote for, what we watch and what we consume, what we take in, these things often leave us, they pretty much always leave us unfulfilled and deeply troubled. It can be soul-crushing to the point of despair. What Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade must have been feeling just a few weeks ago. And those of us who consume celebrity culture and social media accounts might even be participating in each other's despair. We speak about the gospel around here at the Advent all the time. What is the gospel? It's God's final word to us by his son for us. The same son that spoke you into existence, saved you by the shed blood of his death, and now sustains you in the court of heaven where he reigns as king. I don't know about you, but having that knowledge makes me want to sing his praises, to pray to him, and to worship him. It gives me much more meaning uh, to my life than all the other contemporary myths that we tell each other. It makes me want to live my life with and for him and with and for his people and to draw more people into that kingdom. 
It makes me want to hear daily what he has to say, to let him speak to me. And he speaks to me chiefly by his word. If you'd like God to speak to you directly, and maybe, just maybe, you've asked for that. I know because at a time in my life, I asked for God to speak to me directly, to give me a sign. But don't expect visions and dreams and voices. And I'm not discounting these things because God can work through it. But you have a much easier route. It's actually the most best-selling book of all history. You can, they're, they're, you can steal them if you want in the pews, you know. You can go down to Barnes and & Noble and buy all manner of, of, of Bibles for all different types of people. And you will be holding God's word. If you want him to speak to you directly, you can find it right there in Scripture, which is as living and active word as the author to Hebrews will say to us in chapter 4. So let me leave you with these uh, living and active words of encouragement spoken uh, by God through the author of Hebrews. And if you have anything remotely like the despair of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain and other people that we've known in this life, Hear these words uh, from Hebrews chapter 4 and allow God to speak directly to you. These are words of comfort that we should probably come back to through this whole series uh, from chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. In verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.